It's time for Forward Nation Radio. Now here he is, the host of Forward Nation Radio, David Leventhal. Welcome to Forward Nation Radio. I'm David Leventhal. On today's show, the war against government, the law, you know, reality intensifies as the efforts by the President of the United States, the Republican criminal organization, to sabotage the incoming Biden administration gets all too real. This affront this week was joined by the affront of a Supreme Court that Trump and his criminal organization will be leaving us with even once he has left the scene. Anyway, lots of news on this war on rationality and war on government. But first, weed. Yes, the House of Representatives, the Democratic House of Representatives, voted just yesterday to legalize at the federal level weed. And ironically, this of all of our stories from the news this week, is the one that least represents an assault on the law. This is actually the one bit of news in the week that we're going to have to celebrate when it comes to law and government in the United States of America. And I'm not, this isn't a being to weed here. I'm not talking about that. It's not going to affect me anyway. Not that I have an interest and I live in New York. It's still going to be illegal under state law. But I want to, Talk about the reason that we should be celebrating this move by the House of Representatives. And it starts out with just the naked politics of this move. Of this move. Yes, it's not going to bring weed. At this point, it's not going to bring weed to anybody because under Biden, we weren't going to be enforcing the federal law anyway. But the politics of this move, I love it. I'm sorry. The Democrats are playing the game now just like the Republicans are. Because this move, passing a bill to legalize weed, basically strictly on, on a party line vote, almost on a party line vote, this is, this, is, this is Georgia. This is about Georgia. In case you missed this, I don't know who's going to be covering this. I'm sure, I'm sure other sources will be addressing this. But this is a brilliant political move by the Democratic Party to basically put weed on the ballot on January 5th in Georgia. You know, Americans being what we are, we could talk to people, this is much of the theme of this show, as well as all my teaching, we we talk to people all you want about how things affect them. But if it's too complicated, a vast majority, if not huge minority of this country, just, it just completely goes over their heads. Sorry to say that, but it's obviously true. We could talk about how important the Senate is for Democratic control and all the things that they could do, but already millions of people around America and certainly millions of people in Georgia are tuning out. But now, you see, they don't have to tune out. They're not going to tune out because this election is going to be about weed. The Democratic House of Representatives voted to legalize it. The Republican Senate will stop it. And now Democrats in Georgia will be able to say to people, either subtly or right out loud, you want you want to make weed legal? That's simple. Just give us the Senate. You've got two Senate races that you get to vote on that are going to determine whether weed 
is legal in America, at least legal at the federal level. But again, that's getting to complications that the average American won't need to know about. So I absolutely celebrate the politics. I celebrate the playing hardball. I hope this means that the Democrats are ready to get in the thick of the fight with the Republicans. And I think it is absolutely great that they are legalizing weed to put it on the ballot and help them win two Senate races in Georgia and therefore win the Senate. I think it's absolutely great. Now, I also think it's great. Look, the the politics shouldn't undermine good policy. I've been railing against Republicans since I started this show. And so I don't want to get lost in that thicket here. And the fact is, weed shouldn't be illegal. God knows it shouldn't be illegal at the federal level. And it certainly shouldn't be a Schedule I narcotic, as it has been in America. A Schedule I narcotic is the worst of the worst. It is in there with heroin and fentanyl and LSD, which I'm not going to go there. At least nationwide, we think that's among the worst of the worst. But these are drugs that are supposed to have no accepted medical use that clearly doesn't apply to marijuana anymore, are highly addictive, that also doesn't apply to marijuana, apparently, and cause a high rate of dependency, also not marijuana. Shouldn't be in there. Okay, now, it's a reminder, as as Congress votes to legalize, why it's illegal in a Schedule I narcotic in the first place. And the main reason is not because weed is evil. Maybe it is for some people, but that's not why it's there. It's there for voter suppression. It's there as part of the Republican war on, so-called war on crime, which is basically war on black people and war on minorities. We pass these, these just ridiculous drug laws, these barbaric drug laws. And then we go around arresting people of color for doing what white people are doing as well, but not getting arrested for. And then we take away their voting rights. And in many parts of this country, we take away their voting rights forever. In fact, it's important to note that the the bill that passed the House of Representatives, in fact, does consider expunging some, has some effort to expunge some records and crimes that people have committed, which, among other things, will give people their, potentially give people their voting rights back. So, when one looks at whether weed should be legal or illegal, I'm not going to necessarily speak to the to the merits of weed here, although like sort of get over it. But it clearly shouldn't be a Schedule One narcotic, and it clearly shouldn't be a reason why millions of Americans are prevented from voting. The only reason it's there is because, as I've been arguing for months, the only way Republicans win elections is by stopping people from voting. We've, we've learned over the last few weeks that stopping people from voting after they've already voted, in other words, throwing out votes that have already been cast, right now that's going a step too far. That's a bridge too far in America right now. God knows in four years it may no longer be, but right now it's going too far. So the Republicans have to go back to the old reliable, which is stopping people from voting before they get to cast a ballot in the, ballot in the first place. And that's what this is all about. I also, when it comes to the legalization of weed, again, to me, you could fight this out, but that is a matter for states' rights. And I will, I will say here, hooray for states' rights. Now, the irony here, of course, is states' rights is the typical Republican motto. States' rights, meaning, as I've talked about in the past on the show, 
that the federal government shouldn't be making these things illegal. The, pre- the federal government shouldn't be passing these laws. It should be left to the state governments to do this. Well, that's been Republican doctrine for as long as I've been alive and even longer than that. States' rights, they call it. So why should something like weed be made illegal by the federal government? Why shouldn't that be left up to the states? That strikes me as an area that is subject to states' rights. If the people of New Jersey, as they just voted for, decide that they want recreational marijuana and some other state decides it's want, it wants medical marijuana to be legal, the people of that state, it seems to me, should have the right to do that. This is an area where states' rights actually is a winning argument. It's ironic, in a way, that it's that argument is not being made currently by the political criminal organization that always makes it. As I've noted on the show, Republicans have always been dis- disingenuous when they make the states' rights argument. They've been making the states' rights argument since at least before the Civil War, and it was clear then what it stood for, which is lay off our black people. Don't tell us how to treat our black people. That's still how states' right is u- rights is used by Republicans in America. Don't tell us how to treat our black people. Don't tell us about anti-discrimination laws. Don't tell us how to treat our gays. But more than that, I think, for the Republican Party, the core issue is corporations generally can only be regulated by the federal government. States usually lack the, the power to regulate big corporations that can move around the country to wherever the laws are the most lax. In fact, move all over the world for where the laws are the most lax. So what Republicans have been, since their inception, arguing for states' rights, it's all been bullshit. And, and their position on weed makes that perfectly clear, as well as their position on a lot of other things. It's all about the rights of corporations to exploit workers, destroy the environment, kill Americans. That's what states' rights means for Republicans. And I think that this is wonderful that Democrats are taking this opportunity to turn states' rights right at those miserable, lying sons of bitches and turn it right back right back on their head. All right, so that's the, that's the good news in the, in the legal and government front. Now let's take a turn for the, well, initially still kind of funny, uh, but also funny in a ha-ha-ha, we're all going to die um, kind of way. And that's, of course, pardons. The week started out with the President of the United States pardoning one of his co-conspirators, Michael Flynn, former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, who you will recall was convicted in a very close call, only because he pled guilty twice, at least, to lying about his contacts with a foreign government which would subject him to possible blackmail by that foreign government. You know, Russia. No big deal. He lied to the vice president. At one point when Trump was was forced to fire him, uh, Trump had to point out that he lied to the FBI and he lied to the vice president. Therefore, I had no choice but to fire him. Well, fortunately, though, that choice does, does extend for, for Michael Flynn far enough for president to actually pardon him for his crimes. Well, since that time, of course, the whole pardon discussion has just been ratcheted up dramatically. And um, the week that started with him pardoning Michael Flynn has now gone to, well, basically all of his other co-conspirators presumably are going to get pardoned. Rudy Giuliani is in line for a pardon, as well as a whole bunch of other criminals, many of whom actually sat down for Trump family Thanksgiving dinner 
Well, I was going to say with the president of the United States, but considering one of them is the president of the United States, I guess that would really wouldn't have been appropriate. And now the discussion, in case you missed that, is all about Donald Trump and the fact that he is fully expected to pardon himself. Most of the criminal members of his family, maybe all the criminal members of his family, um, leaving out Tiffany and Barron, who may not be implicated in any crimes. If, if they might be, he'll pardon them too. I, no sense for them to have to be subject to U.S. laws when the rest of the Trump family isn't. But his co-conspirators, his family, basically, presumably anyone who will pay Donald Trump so he can pay off his debts to get a pardon. Wait a minute. Did I, did I say pay? Oh, let me walk that one back for a second because we're, uh, we're reading about how Donald Trump right now is not implicated in investigations that are already occurring about the misuse of pardons. Right now, they are focusing on certain criminals. We don't exactly know who they are, but we have a feeling that some of them are still in the news every day making fools of themselves. But how lawyers for some of Donald Trump's co-conspirator criminals have been reaching out to Trump to basically offer to buy a pardon for their clients. Donald Trump, as I pointed out, is not yet implicated. The idea that anybody thinks that the president of the United States will not at some point, if there is a real investigation, be implemented, be implicated rather, in the idea of selling pardons. The only thing here that one could think of is if the president of the United States hasn't been fully involved in this, he's sitting there in his dungeon on his throne tweeting and going, why didn't I think of this? Unbelievable. I could have been selling these pardons so much earlier. But that's ridiculous because obviously he's been thinking about selling him that much earlier. It's I, I think anyone who is under the illusion that Donald Trump will draw a line and not basically just sell pardons to the highest bidders, I think has not been alive during the Trump administration and continues, as decent people always do, to completely overestimate the absolute trash that makes up the other side. Uh, we're going to find out pretty soon. Uh, whether the president of the United States can pardon himself. This, this is where we are in America right now. The president and his family members are such criminals, they're going to give themselves blanket pardons. This is unusual, by the way. Um, pardons, historically, it is a matter of custom that pardons are given to people who've already been convicted of their crimes and have taken responsibility for their crimes. Here, Donald Trump will be, and there is some limited precedent for this, Donald Trump will be will be issuing pardons to his family members and himself that say anything that we might ever have done wrong, we're pardoned for it. And, and people still support this jackass. People still support this. I, I guess this is draining the swamp, Trump-wise. How do you drain the swamp? Apparently you pardon the fucking swamp. Anyway, we're going to find out sometime from now when Donald Trump appointees on the United States Supreme Court determine whether or not the president can pardon himself for federal crimes. Oh, goody. I have a lot of hopes for that one, especially after the Supreme Court has covered itself with glory in glory this week. But I'm getting ahead of myself. More on the uh, lawless front, I suppose. Big news from the week was that Israel, apparently, uh, killed Iran's lead nuclear scientist. Say apparently because everyone seems to think it was and Israel doesn't seem to be denying it. I don't remember if they, if they actually took credit for it. But 
Israel apparently has killed Iran's lead nuclear scientist, also broken in and stolen some important nuclear documents from Iran. What's going on here? Obviously, Israel is concerned about the Middle East and its place in the Middle East, and it's concerned about Iran, not exactly a, a good actor in the region or anywhere else. But that's not entirely what this is about. Much of this is, of course, about Trump and Bibi Netanyahu's efforts to sabotage the United States of America, sabotage our ability to maybe reinvigorate the Iran agreement that Obama had signed that stopped Iran from pursuing its nuclear weapons, according to international observers. It's also part of Bibi Netanyahu's efforts to get the United States to fight his war for him. And Netanyahu, if not actually Trump, are basically trying to provoke a war before it's too late. And it's hard for them to do that before Bibi goes to jail, before Donald goes to jail, jail, and they're all dragged out from where they are. Uh, all reports seem to be coming out this week that Israel apparently doesn't even think that it's Iran's nuclear program right now that, that is its biggest threat. That, in fact, Iran's conventional weapons and ability to attack Israel in other ways seems to be seen by Israel as being the biggest threat. So why take out their nuclear scientists? Probably, among other things, to just make it more difficult for Biden when he comes into office. This is Bibi doing a favor for his good buddy, Donald the criminal. Um, it's part of Trump's efforts to wreck the place before he leaves, maybe start a war, poison the well, whatever, with help, sadly, from the Prime Minister of Israel. Um... It gets worse than that when it comes to Donald Trump's efforts to poison the well for the incoming administration. And of course, the biggest area of poisoning the well, I guess, has been the well that has been most poisoned in this country for, well, many, many months now, more than half a year now, three quarters of a year, and that is COVID. Still the front line of the Republican criminal organization's efforts to poison the well for the incoming administration. This week, on Wednesday, the report was that we had about 2,885 dead. That's basically a 9-11. We have reached the point where we are pretty much suffering a 9-11 a day when it comes to Americans dead from COVID. Now, of course, that's a little unfair because that's not counting the 230,000 people in total who got ill that day, many of whom will be suffering major problems, God knows what they're going to be in the future, and are ill, sick, suffering miserably right now, which goes way beyond the suffering for people on, on 9-11. So I guess you could say we're surpassing a 9-11 a day. So you know that the president is all over this one, and by all over this one, I mean, of course, sitting on his toilet and tweeting, they've stolen the election from me. The president of the United States is still absolutely absent when it comes to trying to lead this country and do something to minimize almost 3,000 deaths a day. Absolutely absent. As the New York Times put it, Trump seems unwilling to help his successor do what must be done to save the lives of tens of thousands of Americans. So not only is Trump not willing to act himself, He's doing everything he can to make sure that nobody else could save these lives either. This is beyond criminal. No wonder this guy needs a pardon. Anyway, the, the big 
story with COVID isn't just the people dying, but the, the dying of the U.S. economy. How unemployment is way up, unemployment claims are way up, and uh, figures, economic figures, GDP, way down in recent reports. We are being devastated. Our economy is being devastated. States are devastated, as I've been arguing for a long time. Those of us who work for the state, teaching at a public university, are seeing firsthand how absolutely devastated this is and what what devastation this is causing to the lives of actual human beings, students and the people who are supposed to be teaching them, among other things. The states have been devastated and are out of money and they're laying off government workers, adding to the number of people seeking unemployment benefits, just adding to the absolute misery. The Democratic House of Representatives, that, that political party that actually tries to govern in this country, passed a bill a lo- months ago to follow up on the CARES Act that had saved this economy for months, but which is running out and which needs to be replaced. The Democratic House has come out in light of the situation and shown that they are willing to accept a drastically reduced aid bill. A bill that is far closer in number, hammered out by a bipartisan, I love when they do this, a bipartisan group of senators. And by bipartisan, what we mean is very conservative Republicans and slightly less conservative Democrats. That's what bipartisan is. But anyway, those senators hammered out a compromise, which is pretty damn close to what the GOP was fighting for the whole time. Still not good enough, though, for Mitch McConnell in the United States Senate, for the GOP in the Senate, that is still willing to do almost nothing. Not quite nothing, but almost nothing. The eight or $900 billion package that was agreed upon, Mitch McConnell wants that down to maybe $500 billion, something along those lines. And what specifically does he have a problem with in the bipartisan compromise that is 90% of what he was fighting for, he doesn't want to give any aid to the states, which may be the single most important part of a, of a rescue bill. He doesn't want to give rent relief. He Basically, he doesn't want to help humans. He has a problem with the fact that some of the aid that has been voted upon by Congress will actually help human beings. That is not what the Republican criminal organization is all about, of course. They don't give a shit about human beings. You know know who they want to help? They are okay with the parts of the relief bill that will increase funding for the 1% of borrowers who had gotten more than one quarter of the aid that was passed before. That's right. Recent report report just out showed that 1%, 1% of those in need borrowing from the CARES Act, got more than one quarter of all the aid that was delivered. Mitch McConnell's perfectly happy with that aid. We're talking so-called small businesses that aren't small businesses that are making a lot of money. We call these people Republican donors. So Mitch McConnell is fine with that. Republicans continue to argue that we will let this country die unless you basically just give us money. That's it. Just, just, Just keep putting money into our pockets. And in fact, if you do keep putting money into our pockets, we're still going to let the country die if you want to put money in somebody else's pockets too. We have a problem with that. Noted in the latest reports about how bad our economy is, the majority of job losses are in education. The job losses we're facing right now. Education. 
I've been teaching college for a long time. I've told you on this show many times for new listeners here. Let me be clear that this country cannot afford to lose any more funding for education. Our funding for education already is making this country pathetic. It has had a tremendously negative effect on our students, the quality of education they are getting in college, where I'm teaching, and even worse than that, the quality of education they're getting before they even get to college and their preparedness for college and to compete with the rest of the world. And why is it that education is suffering the majority of job losses? This is just the way America works. This is, the, this is how the assault on government always, always happens. It is always easier to compromise the future than compromise today. And when you cut education funding, you are hurting the next governor, you are hurting the next president, you are hurting the next mayor, you're hurting the next whatever. You are not asking for sacrifice today. People may not be feeling, a lot of people won't, won't be feeling the cuts today. It will simply mortgage the future of the country. And we continue to eat our seed corn in this country and leave ourselves basically with no future at all. There better be something left in there when Biden comes in. And we better pray that he gets a Democratic Senate where they could put pressure on to just load this country with cash for the people who actually need it, who could spend it, who could support our economy, and who could support education so that we don't always have to raise a generation of the stupidest, least educated people on the planet. Not good for our future. Anyway, willingness to think about the future, of course, is maybe the first thing that distinguishes Donald Trump and his criminal organization from Joe Biden, a Democratic Party that wants to run America. If you believe in government, you believe in governing for the future, for the welfare of citizens, not just today, but years down the road. And I realize, by the way, there are a lot of Democrats who do not live up to this ideal the way we would like them to. But they're still not Republicans. And there is a vast chasm between the Democratic Party and its willingness to shore up this country's future, like investing in infrastructure, and a Republican Party that just wants to steal everything that isn't nailed down right now. If you are wealthy, all you want is more right now. And that's the, the fundamental difference between these two political parties. It's why we can't fix things in this country. In part because of our voters, as I've talked about on the show a lot. Our voters not up for a political party that tells them to make sacrifices for the future. The American public that turns off the TV once they hear the word sacrifice. An American public that if a president says, I'm going to raise your taxes by 20 cents a year, and I'm going to raise billionaires' taxes by a lot, so that we, it doesn't matter, you stop listening. It doesn't matter that we're going to be spending money on all these things that you need to live decent lives, because you stop listening. It just says who we are as a country and why Republicans have a built-in advantage. Because preparing for the future is just something that too many Americans don't want to hear. Let's hope that these things have changed somewhat. Of course, the main reason that we can't fix this country is that we have a criminal political party. David Brooks, who I occasionally cite on this show and remind you, is a conservative and a lifelong Republican. He wrote in a column this week that Republicans are preventing basic governance. Speaking about an economic relief bill, he says it is mind-boggling to think that the Republican Party could stop this. This is so necessary. If we can't do this, 
We cannot do anything when it comes to governing. And this lifelong Republican is talking about the Republican Party and is clear that he's primarily talking about the Republican Party. But of course, that wasn't all that David Brooks opined about this week that does not reflect well in the Republican Party. Um, that particular thing about not being able to govern was not part of his column where he said, and I quote, much of the Republican Party has become detached from reality. Well, thanks for catching on, David Brooks, who's now joined Republicans like Norman Ornstein, who said the same thing 10 years ago when it was still obviously true. But okay, David Brooks, not exactly an early adopter, but at least a latecomer to the party. Yes, welcome to the party. The Republic, and the party being that the Republican criminal organization has become detached from reality right now. And this, this threat to the future of this country continues unabated. In fact, in many respects, it maybe grows. And, and maybe, the, I understand we have Donald Trump as president, a criminal, a liar, a narcissist, a self-dealer. He's the head of a criminal organization masquerading as a political party that governs one of the two chambers of the, of the United States legislature. Despite that, the greatest threat to the future of this country right now, the greatest threat to reality, decency, functioning, government, has to be the United States Supreme Court that they have done so much to destroy. This absolute disgrace of the United States Supreme Court that we are left with, this trash, this political, these political hacks, these ideologues who shot across the bow this week to tell everybody, anybody who thinks like maybe the chief justice, that we are going to be concerned about how we look and preserving the integrity of this institution and that that will keep us reined in. Anyone who thinks that has not been paying attention to the Republican criminal organization because we will have none of that. We are on the Supreme Court. We will burn the fucking place down right now. No delay. We are burning the freaking place down. We are we are enforcing our ideological agenda. We are bringing this country back to pre-enlightenment days as soon as we can. We are not waiting for the dust to settle. And I am, of course, speaking primarily about the Supreme Court decision in Roman Catholic Diocese versus Cuomo, which was issued on Thanksgiving Eve. And no wonder it was issued on Thanksgiving Eve because you want a decision like that to come out when nobody's paying attention. Let's briefly recap what the decision was. Um, a religious organizations, including the Roman Catholic Diocese and, and Orthodox Jewish organizations who were among the plaintiffs in this case, contested an order by the United States, by the New York State governor to limit the size of gatherings. They did not like the fact, because they were a religion, that they might be subject to the same laws that normal human beings, human beings who live in the real world, might be subject to. And fundamentally, that's the decision, despite smoke and mirrors sometimes to make it look like something it's other, something other than it was. It has been clear in this country for many years, there is Supreme Court precedent saying that neutral laws to benefit the welfare of citizens do not violate the First Amendment freedom of religion 
if they incidentally impact religious organizations, as long as there is a neutral government purpose for these laws. Like, for instance, not having COVID epidemic continue to rage out of control at even faster rates in New York State because people refuse to social distance because they're freedom-loving fucking morons. Um, or, Or in this case, because they're morons who believe that God will take care of everything, whether or not they wear a mask, because that's what they're, whoever's standing up in front of their freaking pulpit in front of them, whatever moron is standing there is telling them, and they're believing it hook, line, and sinker. In other words, the non-reality sect in America. So the law was designed to limit deaths from COVID in New York State. Oh my God, you are so anti-religion. Unbelievable. It just sh- The U.S. Supreme Court has gone insane to come out to basically overrule precedent. In a case, by the way, that was moot. I'm, I'm not going to focus that much on that one because the fact that it could come back, I don't think it's so terrible that the Supreme Court took it. Uh, Justice Roberts, who is very conservative, who knows where his bread is buttered, who knows who put him on the court, who has his, who's his own ideologue, but who has a little bit more stake being the chief justice in the United States Supreme Court not being totally delegitimized and becoming a historical joke in the future. Found a middle ground where he said, well, let's, it's moot, so let's, let's dismiss the case. To the extent that Chief Justice Roberts wants to enact a conservative agenda while also managing to avoid the worst and maintaining some integrity of the United States Supreme Court, This case makes clear that the Chief Justice will spend the rest of his life in dissent in that area. This case, again, make no mistake about this. This was a victory for fantasy over reality. Public health takes a backseat to outright idiocy. We could do it, what? We could do whatever we want because God tells us. Just, we're going to talk in a minute about where this is going to end up going. Understand that the reason New York State needed to do this in the first place, I just want to be clear on this, they were doing this in red zones. This is how the case became moot. I don't want to get into these basics. But basically, red zones in New York where the virus was was really spreading at, at, a, at a higher rate. And the red zones were subject to restrictions. Now, a lot of these red zones covered religious institutions. Well, why did they? It wasn't an accident. It's because these fucking morons are super spreaders in the first place. That's why we need the fucking law, because of these idiots. But now these idiots are excluded from the law. That's great. Building on this, fantasy over reality is the Republican grievance fantasy that was front and center in this opinion. The Republican grievance fantasy, as often uh, said so succinctly by Justice Alito, Alito, in a speech last month to fellow members of the Federalist Society, where all the judges are now coming from and all the justices are now, are now plucked from, the ultra-conservative organization, said, and I quote, It pains me to say this, but in certain quarters, religious liberty is fast becoming a disfavored right. It pains me to say this, but in certain quarters, religious liberty is fast becoming a disfavored right. Let's start with, it doesn't pain you to say it at all. You say it all the time, whether it's true or not is irrelevant. 
It gives you the greatest joy in life to say it. That's what you live for because you are a grievance person. You, no matter what goes on, you're like Donald Trump. No matter how much of a silver spoon you are born with in your mouth, you think that the whole world is against you. It makes sense that this is a religious case because Justice Alito nails himself to his fucking cross in every public utterance. And of course, the reason it doesn't pain him to say it is because it's complete fantasy. This has been, as legal commentators have pointed out, that Alito is almost certainly a member of a Supreme Court majority that during his 15 years on the Supreme Court has been more deferential to the demands of religious believers than any Supreme Court in modern history. The Supreme Court and our courts are more freaking pro-religion than they've possibly ever been. Certainly they've been in my lifetime. Oh, it pains me to say how, how under siege religion is. Right. Just like it pains Donald Trump to talk about how much voter fraud there was. <laughs> right. Just making it up. There's no pain there. Okay, what of course Alito means to say is that reality hasn't been very generous for religion. His complaint isn't against our attack on religion. His complaint is straightforward against reality. His bigotry, the bigotry that his religion teaches him, hasn't been doing well among thinking people in America, which, God forbid, is actually allowing same-sex couples to love one another just like non-same-sex couples. You know... Same-sex couples whom God has made same-sex? It's, you, you, you just can't make this stuff up. Anyway, so the idea is religions are not subject to the law. So, why do we need a law to make marijuana legal? Why don't we just call the, the new church of the God of opioid? That's right. The Sackler family will now probably call themselves the Sackler religious family. They'll create a religion in favor that, that, that deals with the dissemination of opioids and it'll all be fine. Maybe Jeffrey Epstein will come back from the dead. After all, this is a religious discussion. Maybe Jeffrey Epstein will come back from the dead and create a religion in favor of child sexual abuse. Wouldn't that be great? Child sexual abuse, as long as it's a religion, Hey, that should be fine because a law that prevents you from abusing children sexually is interfering with your practice of religion. How about human sacrifice? Yes, we should have, you know, that one at least we can encourage. Let's encourage these believers, these, these Trump cultists to believe in human sacrifice. But let's make sure that, that they know that the sacrifice has to come from within the cult. If it's outside the cult, it just doesn't count. Okay. Oh, by the way, more news is I think the Boy Scouts just came and announced that they're now a religion. You know, the Boy Scouts that are facing thousands of lawsuits for sexual predation. Yeah, just announce your religion. That's all. And you're good. Apparently. Let's be clear that this decision was not conservative. There's nothing conservative about this decision, which is humility when it comes to our courts. Courts not making laws. Remember that? It's simply pro-religion. It is advancing the interests of religious fantasists over the interests of secular thinking people. Did, did, were we talking about Iran before in this conversation? Oh, right. Iran's really bad because their religious extremists are different than our religious extremists. That's the problem with Iran. Not that they're religious extremists. They're just not our religious extremists. 
this most specifically is putting religious rights. This is not an attack on religion. What this is, is the, the religious promoters in this country putting religious rights above all other rights in this country, the, including the right not to be discriminated against. Because now you can be discriminated against as long as you're being discriminated against by somebody who's doing it because their religion compels them to do it. This is not about equal rights, but superior rights for people who've decided to construct a fantasy world and then live in it. Yeah, don't worry, people. This is going to end real well for the United States of America and for the world as we continue, basically, to attack the very idea of a society based on reason. Anyway, there's another Supreme Court case that's very now more likely to completely violate conservative principles and promote the interests of religion, showing where, where religious people in the United States Supreme Court are really coming from these days. That's the case Fulton v. City of Philadelphia, where the, this religious promoting, religion-promoting United States Supreme Court is going to determine whether a Catholic social services and agency can qualify for contracts from the city of Philadelphia to place children in foster homes, despite the fact that it refuses to follow the law on putting people into foster children into foster homes. It refuses to put them into same-sex couple families. And it now is arguing that it has not only the right to do what it wants, but the right to get government contracts while refusing to do government work and to follow the law. This is actually a case that should be a laugher. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, David Cole, the, the, the uh, leader of the, AC, of the legal department of the ACLU, the legal affairs for the ACLU, wrote an article in the New York Review of Books that basically seemed like a challenge to the United States Supreme Court saying, you people can't possibly violate every fundamental tenet of conservatism to rule in favor of religion on this one. Can you? Can you really? Well, maybe it can. We'll check in with that one pretty soon because I'm sure we'll have lots and lots of opportunity to continue over the next few weeks and months to talk about the assault on this country on law, on government, and on reality. And whether the incoming Biden administration has any opportunity at all to reverse this assault on reality and decency. Anyway, that'll wait for a future show. For now, that's the end of this show. Thanks for joining us. Until we talk to you next, stay safe, stay well. You've been listening to Forward Nation Radio with David Leventhal. 